Friday, November 4th here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck's out of here. We've had a couple days off just sorting a couple things out behind the scenes. We're back here and we're joined by one of our favorites. RJ Ochoa from Inside the Star is back with us. We have RJ, we haven't chatted with you on the pod. I think we probably got to go back to September or somewhere around there. Yeah, if uh, if memory serves, I was on, I remember August 1st because that was my mom's birthday and then September 1st because it was. I remember we made a joke about it being a month later. So yeah, it's been a, been a minute. Well, I hope you don't think that we were, you know, kind of leaving you out in the cold and everything. I mean, we're, we're still buddies. We still love you. And, you know, it just took us a little while to kind of, you know, get to this point. No, not at all. I, um, you know, this is, uh, this is our first football season being, being friends and, and being partners with all this. And it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been, um, you know, I've been more immersed in this football season than I have probably any in my entire life. And so I get it. And, um, I've been enjoying all the quick kicks podcasts and, um, you know, inside the pylon among my, uh, my bookmarks on my homepage. And so, uh, I've been, I've been hanging out behind the scenes myself. Well, it's good to have you back and good to be able to chat a little bit. Obviously, you know, it's it's been a good year to be covering the Cowboys. 6 and 1, commanding lead in the NFC East right now. Where's your what's your take on kind of uh if you're given almost a mid-season report card right now, where do you where do you grade out the Cowboys to this point? Well, you know, I think you have to give them an A. I mean, if you want to go to to sort of cliché grades just based on expectations and you know, there's a lot of honking about Mike Zimmer for coach of the year and and Bill Belichick and and all those are are fair uh, fair you know sort of superlatives. But for me, this season is as much as it's been about Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott and and the injuries and, and all this stuff. I mean, this season, this seven game stretch we've been on, it's it's all Jason Garrett to me. Jason Garrett has been the eye of, you know, in the eye of the storm of criticism, I think for a long time, especially those three, eight and eight seasons to get it going. And, you know, 2014 obviously was incredible for the Cowboys. And last year, you could, you know, give him a mulligan off, you know, based on what happened. And so this was sort of the season where we all said, okay, this is the barometer. This is where we know who Jason Garrett is. And, and the dude has, you know, he goes to training camp and he loses one of his defensive ends in Randy Gregory. I mean, he loses his middle linebacker in Rolando McClain. However much they were expecting from them, they're still gone. He loses his backup quarterback in Kellen Moore. He loses his starting quarterback in Tony Romo. I mean, he, he's – I mean, we forget because of how great Dak Prescott's been. We, he's doing everything he's done. He, Jason Garrett is 6-1 and one with his third-string quarterback. And, you know, you know well what the Patriots did to the Houston Texans on Thursday Night Football a few weeks back with their third, you know, uh, third-string quarterback, rookie Jacoby Brissett, who was drafted ahead of Dak Prescott. And people said that, that that game served as why Bill Belichick belongs in the Hall of Fame. And they're right. But the fact that Jason Garrett has done it over a seven-game stretch, I think he's sort of the uh, the common denominator across uh, what's been a fun ride so far. What, what I think, to me at least, you know, you, you mentioned again all of the injuries that the Cowboys saw just in the preseason before a game was even played. It's easy, especially for a young team, to kind of sit there and say, well, we're rookies, we're young, we don't necessarily, you know, we can kind of check out and just spend the year learning. Garrett's kept this team engaged, he's kept them, you know, pushing ahead, and it's also a testament just to those rookies saying, hey, we're not taking this just as a learning experience, we're going to go out here and show what we can do, actually. I mean, it, it shows a lot of toughness to me from my perspective looking at it and saying, 
hey, th- these guys could have gone in any number of directions, and here they are leading the NFC East. Absolutely, and obviously the the nucleus of, of that and the nucleus of the rookies is, is Dak and Zeke, and they have what is, and this is weird in, in life, really, they have a likable arrogance to them. And I, I think you're right. I think that they arrogantly because arrogance is okay if you back it up they arrogantly have said this you know who cares we're not rookies we're players you know we're, we're here this is our league this is our playground we're just going to go out and we're going to dominate we don't care they're they're not intimidated by anybody and um you know i think that at this point you have to respect that about them because they've proven that they don't need to be they've gone to lambeau field and and beaten the mighty aaron Rodgers. they beat um an incredible you know, incredibly underrated Philadelphia Eagles team in prime time in what was probably their worst game of the season. These guys have a grittiness about them, um, and, and it's just it's amazing, really. One thing that I have a question about is you know the the game on uh, on Sunday night against the Eagles. I watched uh, the first half. Beyond that, it was way too late for me to stay up and watch the whole thing live. But one thing that stood out to me and that, you know, my, my colleague Mark Schofield had written about when he was looking at Dak in college was the Dak started to show a couple of ball placement issues, especially there was one possession down towards the goal line where a couple throws potentially, you know, could have been picked off, just weren't put where they needed to be. And I do wonder, is what Dak is, is what Dak has done sustainable in the long run, do you have any questions about whether there may be a little bit of a pullback for him in the future? I think it's it's more than fair to say that they're uh, you know that it's not sustainable. It, it's you know unless you're Tom Brady, it's it's ridiculous to expect this to be common. And uh, I think you're right. I think mechanically, this was Dak's worst game of the season. His worst game as a professional. And and you're right. Um, and, and it and it is troublesome. It is worrisome. I I do think and. I'm, you know, just sort of honestly shocked that that I thought this, you know, watching the game. It was during the week. I think it was Linda Cohen of ESPN. She tweeted something about how Des coming back could disrupt this offense. And and that's something that the Cowboys Twitter has sort of facetiously said. Well, you know, because people are so concerned about the chemistry with Romo returning. And so as well, if you're concerned about Romo, you, you know, Des hasn't been playing either. And so I, I do believe that I, I don't think that Des was necessarily – bad for the Cowboys but there were times where you're right Chuck I mean it seemed like Dak was forcing things and we hadn't seen that from him uh, up until that point Dak had been all about taking what was given to him just checking things down that's part of the reason Cole Beasley has had the season he has is because he's always open it seemed like Dak um, just wasn't himself and you're right it is uh, you know if if there's a red flag I think it's that that he might have a game like that uh, more often um, than we expected. You mentioned uh, the return of Dez, and obviously him and uh, Dak struggled to get on the same page there. I think Dak was only 4-14 to Dez. But obviously this is a guy who's going to be a huge weapon. Even if, even if they're not able to get on the same page, just potentially continuing to further open things up for Cole Beasley, for Terrence Williams, for Jason Witten, he just gives defenses a whole other element that they have to keep their eye on, and it should potentially in the long run pay some dividends there. Absolutely. And and I think that it helps guys like Cole Beasley. I think it helps guys like Terrence Williams, who, you know, had a great pass breakup uh, that probably is best play of the game. It helps Cole Beasley, helps Zeke Elliott. And I think it helps Jason Witten more than anybody. I mean, Jason Witten caught his first touchdown, obviously, there in overtime to win it. And a lot of the reason, to your point, why 
nobody is as concerned with Jason Witness because you've got that monster Des Bryant out there and you have to pay attention. So you're right. Even if Des is, you know, impacted isn't showing up in the box score he is uh he's incredibly valuable to the 11 men on the field for the Cowboys I feel like Jason Witten at this point has kind of become like Tim Duncan he just yes he, he, he goes out he's been in the league for 14 years and you know that at the end of the season he's gonna have 70 catches for about 800 yards and three to five touchdowns and he's gonna do his thing he's just so like he he's got just you know how you ever you ever play in a uh you know pick up basketball game and you play against the old guy that somehow always can get open and get his shot off that's Jason Witten right now he just he's got that old man knowledge of the game and he just knows how to play I uh I couldn't agree more as a as a San Antonio resident the Tim Duncan analogy is a good one and um, you know, as, as you know, on Twitter, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of numbers and symmetry. And so you're right. This is Jason Witten's 14th year. And he really is reminding me, and, and I think this makes sense, of the 2014 iteration of Tim Duncan and those Spurs that were just on a mission. And um, after the game, DallasCowboys.com put this out. They, they frequently put out Jason Garrett's postgame speeches. Um, and, you know, they were celebrating and, and whatnot. And Jason Garrett had a little speech for Jason Witten. He started his 200 fourth game as a member of the Dallas Cowboys, which is more than any human in the history of the world. Uh, he broke a tie that he had with Ed Tuttle Jones, and you can just you can just see to your point that that Jason Witten is is somewhat rejuvenated, I, and I think that that might be because of of the youth like Dak and Zeke, and you know, so maybe they're his Kawhi, uh, maybe they're his Danny Green or something like that. But uh, Jason Witten is timeless. I mean, it really is amazing what he does year in and year out without essentially skipping a beat let's turn over now chat a little bit of defense here because this is a unit that also had a couple injuries on this side of the ball here I, I didn't necessarily have particularly high expectations because it's been a unit that has been you know pretty up and down the last couple years but they've turned into pretty good performances though not necessarily against the best competition where what do you see from this defense this year that stands out to you well Honestly, I'm I'm more impressed with the defense than I thought I would be. So much of what we believe the Cowboys defense is capable of is predicated on the offense controlling things on a large, you know, um, favor in terms of time of possession towards the Cowboys. But this defense, I think this Eagles game is a great example. And I know the Eagles offense isn't necessarily the, the best one in the NFL, but what they were able to do, especially late in the game, says a lot about them. Guys like Tyrone Crawford, Orlando Skandrick finally showing up, really had uh, had not lived up to the hype that, that he had entering this season, but he had a great game. And, and Terrell McClain, seemingly this team's best defensive lineman, they just have, you know, this people people want to call this this defense, the no name defense. And and as a fan of NFL history, you know, I'm I'm really slow to do that just because I'm a great admirer of the 70s Dolphins and, and that no name defense. But that's really what this this unit is. It's it's a collection of individuals who every week you just it, it, almost out of luck, you have somebody having uh, the game of, of the season. You know, in Green Bay, it was David Irving, who's been a little bit quiet every other game. On Sunday night, it was Terrell McClain and Tyrone Crawford and Orlando Skandrick. And when the Cowboys play the Browns, it'll probably be somebody else. It's um, it's a total team mentality. And that's, I think, really evident in, in the way they play and the way they're coached. Does anyone in particular out of uh, some of the guys who have been drafted in the last couple of years, anyone uh, there potentially look like a rising star who could be in that next generation uh, really leading this defense over the next five to seven years? 
Well, you know, I think the the easy answer would have been Morris Claiborne, although you know a little little while back in terms of, of the draft, but he um, you know obviously dealing with an injury will be out four to six weeks. I I really want to say Byron Jones just because he's so likable and because he's such an athletic freak and and he can do so many things. But he has yet to record his first career interception. Although he um you know he's really coming along. I think that the guy that seemingly is I don't want to say a cornerstone, but perhaps a big part of the plan moving forward is Anthony Brown, the sixth round rookie corner. Anthony has been incredible in Orlando Scantrick's absence, and he's what gives Cowboys Nation hope now that Morris Claiborne's going to miss some time. I mean, the Cowboys secondary is probably their their strongest element of their defense, and Anthony Brown is a huge reason why. He's sort of the the youthful reincarnated version of Orlando Scandrick because when Orlando Scandrick was drafted that you know in 2008 that year in the first round the Cowboys took Mike Jenkins out of uh, South Florida and he ended up sort of flaming out and Orlando really rose uh, rose to the occasion and that that's what Anthony Brown kind of reminds me of somebody who's going to be around for a while and and be a steady corner and, and a steady contributor to this defense. Looking ahead, uh, you know, we are uh, obviously uh, the Cowboys have had their bye already this year, so they still have nine games left to play. They're going to be on every week through uh, through New Year's. Taking a look at the road ahead for them, and I, and I, and I don't want to – I hate going through and trying to pick, you know, win-loss, win-loss. This seems to be a relatively straightforward schedule. A lot of winnable games here, only a couple challenges potentially uh, that they're facing. At a Steelers team that may or may not have Roethlisberger back. At the Vikings, obviously, that could be a challenge against that defense. But a lot of other winnable games here. It seems to me they're in prime position to end up taking the NFC East and heading to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean... You look at their schedule, and and a lot of things have broken right for them. Um, like you're saying, Ben Roethlisberger still the question mark. Um, the Redskins, who they play on Thanksgiving, losing Trent Williams due to suspension. Yep. And, and and you're right, the Vikings are obviously scary on defense. But if there's a point of strength on the Cowboys, it's their offense. And and so you know you're not supremely worried about that, but on you know what you're worried about the Cowboys is, is their defense and the Vikings who are probably the, the biggest test I think at least in the next six weeks ish you know North Turner resigns and so Cowboys catching breaks seemingly again left and right and, and you have to wonder um you know what this is going to look like and it, it I think it'll look a lot different uh if and when Tony Romo comes back and I believe that that will happen on Thanksgiving. It's sort of um, sort of an, an epiphany I've had over the last week that Tony Romo will make his return on Turkey Day. So you think Romo's back on Thanksgiving? Yeah, because you know I thought about this, and the next three games for the Cowboys, you, you're in Cleveland at Pittsburgh, and you got Baltimore at home, and I think you can win two of those games. You know, being you know being conservative, I think you win two of those games, but they're AFC games, so you know they're important. Don't get me wrong, but they're less valuable from a tiebreaker perspective. And, um, and, you know, I'll ask you, Chuck, do you think just in a vacuum, when the, if the Cowboys pull a healthy Romo, doesn't that controversy become something we've never seen, even this season? In terms of, you know, who, who's kind of the long-term uh, option there? Yeah, I mean, if the Cowboys yeah. were to pull a Romo, that's the point of no return. You know what I mean with this this Dak thing? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much where, you know, you, you've, you've kind of made your decision then. So it's... It, <laughs> It's it's a it's a really tough situation for me to even like look at and say what I would do just because it's it's such a tough decision. Obviously, the the one thing that you know at this point is if Romo were to go down after coming back, you know that you have someone you can hand the ball to. So, uh, you know, you you've got that question answered. So, 
from my perspective, the biggest question mark about Romo heading into this year and what it's been for the last few has been, can he stay healthy and what do you do with the backup situation? Well, at this right. point, I've kind of come to the realization, look, you get everything you can out of Romo, but if he can't stay healthy, look, you've got your options. So you put him out there, you get as much as you can, and then you just kind of roll with it, I think. Absolutely. And you're right. Obviously, the health is is the biggest question mark with him. And, and I think his biggest uh, sensor sort of kryptonite over the last few seasons has been these short weeks. We saw how Tony Romo played on Thanksgiving in 2014 at home against the Eagles. It was terrible. It was one of the worst games of his career. We saw last year Tony Romo made his return you know, after the first broken collarbone, the Sunday before Thanksgiving when the Cowboys were in Miami, got the win. Remember, he threw a pass left-handed. It was raining. It was crazy. But he comes back at home, and, and even before he got hurt against the Panthers, having a really, truly terrible game. It, it's these short weeks that are are really bad for him. He needs a full seven days of rest in order to be able to, you know, abide by his routine and his weekly regimen. And so that's why I don't believe they bring him back before Thanksgiving. Dak has given this team honestly, the gift of time. And so if you bring Tony back on Thanksgiving, he does not have to go through the short week. If you brought him back at any point, you know, on Sunday against the Eagles, this Sunday in Cleveland, or either of the following two weeks, he would have to go through that Thanksgiving game because you cannot pull a healthy Romo because then things, you know, get really finicky. So that's why I believe the the point that Tony Romo is going to come back is Thanksgiving because they play seven days later in Minnesota and then at that point get 10 days before they have to travel to New York to take on the Giants. RJ, last question. Got to end on something special teams. Okay. Dan Bailey. Oh, man. Kicking extra points from both sides because it's just too easy from, for him. What what like have we really reached that point with him now where it's just like okay I'm just gonna move the ball around because I'm bored. You know I um I think that I pay a lot of attention to detail. I, I do think that about myself, and honestly, that was something I had never noticed about Dan Bailey's game until you highlighted it. And uh, you've done what I think is the the best work and best analysis on Dan Bailey. So first of all, my hats off to you in that regard. But yeah, I mean this dude is is incredible. I mean, really, he really and truly is. And I, I think you of all people appreciate that. What, what Dan Bailey does and what Dan Bailey represents and what Dan Bailey gives you is a sense of peace that it has certainly been absent across the majority of the NFL over the last two seasons. And, and you're right. He's just out there. I want to say, I, I want to actually believe that he's just toying with things. He's that arrogant, but I, I don't think that. I think he's that disciplined <laughs> yep. to to his craft, and he's just he's just finding any opportunity to get better, and uh, and that's why he's who he is. I mean, I think there was a point where Stephen Guskowski was up there, but you know he's had a little bit of a struggle this season. I'd, I'd take Dan Bailey and Justin Tucker over just about any kicker in the NFL right now probably agree i'd throw vinatieri on the list uh for this year oh, too for just sure. because i mean the guy's what 43 years old and is just bombing 54 yard kicks left and right at this point so it's been a party it's been a party uh for sure rj we're just about wrapped up here any uh anything else that you uh want to chat on i know you you got some travel coming up to uh to go to a couple games yeah yeah, I uh, I'll be at the Pittsburgh Steelers game when the Cowboys take them on on um, on November thirteenth. It'll be a lot of fun. My dad and I um, two years ago we you know we're very blessed. We've been to a lot of Cowboys games at home, but we said we want to start traveling. We want to see the NFL. And so two years ago we saw the Cowboys in Chicago, which was fun. Last year Lambeau Field. You know you got to do that. It's it's on the bucket list. And so um, considering that you know 
the way the NFL scheduling works, you travel to the opposite conference teams only once every eight years. We uh, we didn't want to wait till 2024 to, to visit Pittsburgh and see everything. And honestly, I'm hoping Ben Roethlisberger plays for that game. I mean, oh, yeah. Um, I, I, that's that's the game I want to see. And uh, I'm hoping it's it's a lot of fun. And um, I'm excited just just to see it. I mean, that's those are the the crowds and the, and the stadiums and the experiences you, you want as a fan of the NFL. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped. No doubt about it. RJ, we're out of time, but again, big thanks to you for coming on with us, and uh, we'll catch up with you pretty soon, all right? Won't, we'll, a lot quicker than two months this time. Sounds good, man. Y'all keep up the great work. Uh, I'm a huge fan, and uh, and I love you all. Hey, a lot of respect going both ways. RJ Ochoa from Inside the Star. We're done for the day. Enjoy the weekend, and we will see you on Monday. <laughs>